Hello, welcome to the Insurance Disruptors podcast, a podcast created for you, the agent in mind. This podcast is to help you improve and take your business to the next level and your client relationships. My name is Nate Jones, the owner of Wexford Insurance, and this is Abe Busick, the owner of Busick Financial Services. How are you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? How was your weekend? It was good. I, uh, I made a little money uh, betting on some games. A little uh, chump change, so yeah. Yeah, I thought of you this morning. I got up and checked the uh, score to the Chiefs-Bills game, and I figured you were happy with those results. Uh, yeah, I was a little nervous. I was like, I don't know. The Chiefs are pretty good, but Josh Allen, uh, he got it under the way, man. Yeah. <laughs> Real question is, who do you have picked to win tonight's Colts and Ravens matchup? I put, I put five bucks on the Colts because uh, I'm going to win like 19 bucks, and I, you know, who knows? You know, I can't bet against my team. Not a chance, man. Not a chance. So, well, hey, guys, we don't want to take up all the time here with small talk for you. Um, like Nate Jones introduced us, we are the Insurance Disruptors podcast, and we are fired up um, for today's podcast episode and really appreciate the feedback we've gotten on the first episode um, as we're going through this. But today we're going to quickly discuss a topic um, that I firmly believe everything in the insurance industry starts with this. If you don't get good at this topic, then you're really not going to find a whole lot of success in the insurance industry overall. And we're going to be talking about the phones. So I've been in the insurance industry for about four and a half years. And I can't tell you how many times for both myself and other agents that I've seen where the phones um, makes or breaks people, right, Nate? Like if you can't hop on the phones and take rejection and make the phone calls and have that discipline into your schedule and put in that high level of activity, the odds of you making it in the insurance industry is very slim. And as I remember, as I coach agents and I talk to different agents, it seems like the biggest pain point for a lot of agents is how to get better at the phones. What do you think, man? Yeah, I think, I mean, even warm calls that, you know, somebody is reaching out to you for insurance, cold calls, everything. You got to make sure that you have a conversation standard and that you're ready to have conversations to either schedule meetings, go to meetings, uh, call somebody cold, all these things that you have to do because you're building relationships. So it's, you got to use the phone. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. If you were to ask me, what's the worst part of the insurance industry, I would say the phones, but also that's the part that makes us the most money. I had a mentor one time at my previous company. He said, rich, broke, rich, broke if you're an insurance agent and there's so much truth in that right and I think the value of today's podcast is going to be we dial two very different groups of people right so I dial I'm on the life insurance side and I dial mainly leads right people submit a request online mail in a form call in a number um, however it was they responded to something and I me and my agents were calling them and following up to, to help them with their life insurance you, though, you're calling things a little bit differently. You kind of do a hybrid and a mix. So real quick, talk about how you acquire your clients on the phones before we dive into this training. Yeah, we do a lot of cold outreach. And that's just from public research. Uh, a lot of companies are on Facebook. A lot of companies are all over the internet and on Google. So if you, um, we do really well with contractors. So just Googling painting contractors, flooring contractors, and you can find a lot of information about the company, the owner, their phone number, what they're doing. And, uh, you know, strangers and people that I don't know are going to help me build my business. If I only 
did insurance with the people I knew, I would have a very small business. So uh, the strangers and the people you don't know, and it is awkward to make cold calls, but the more you do it, the better you get. So uh, yeah, that's our approach. So when you started in insurance, Nate, um, back with your practice companies, have you always done cold calling um, or was that more lead based or how did you break into the phone system for yourself with insurance? Yeah, I did cold calling when I was an underwriter. So I would cold call agents and I would say, hey, you got a submission you're working on. You got something you're working on. Send my send it my way. And so I've done cold calls a lot of different types of ways. And, you know, it's nerve wracking. But after you do it, you know, you get better at it. And if you have techniques, I mean, I have some failure stories that I'm going to talk about today once we kind of dive in. And, you know, <laughs> the only way to get good at something is to kind of continuously tinker and fail. Um, so, yeah, I've I've made a lot of phone calls. <laughs> yeah. One real quick uh, failure story of mine. I don't know. It was probably three or four months when I was in the industry. I called the lead. Conversation went well, booked the appointment, got up, got a drink, came back to my desk, sat down and called the lead. The next, what I thought was the next lead started right into my intro script. And she was like, you just called me five minutes ago. We have an appointment on Thursday. She's like, don't you have, don't you have me in your schedule? And I was like, oh, I do. I'm so sorry. She was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to work with somebody um, who's not very organized, right? So <laughs> we've all been there. We've all made mistakes. So I think if, if you were going to like outline today's podcast, really could be outlined to five things, um, how to have success on the phones, right? Number one is mindset before dials, right? Getting in the right frame of mind, the right head space. Um, your intro to your phone script, whether it's cold calling or whether it's leads, that intro, you know, that first line is going to be their first impression, whether or not they hang up on you or listen to what you have to say. Um, how to handle objections, that's a big one. I mean, I would say almost every phone call we make at some sort of point gives us some sort of objection. How do you navigate around that to still get to the appointment? Um, for me on the life side, the next one would be figuring out the client's concern on that initial phone call and then how to set a strong appointment. Um, would you agree with those? Like that's the five main basic points of getting good on the phones. Yeah. Yeah. I, let's dive right in. All right, man. So let's start with how do you get in the proper mindset before dials? So I will, I'll just tell you on my end with leads, you know, mindset and headspace is everything, Right. What I found when I'm dialing leads is my attitude is often mirrored in the client's response. My headspace is often mirrored in the client's response, meaning I'm in a bad attitude in a bad headspace and I call the client and the client answers their phone and they can hear in my voice that I'm having a bad day or that I've, I'm just not really into this conversation. They're going to mirror that attitude right back to me. And so I'm going to have a bad phone conversation, right? Um, another thing for me though, with mindset before dials, and I think it's important to know your metrics. So you have proper expectations. And what do I mean by that? Everybody you talk to isn't going to book an appointment, right? Nate? And you got to be okay with that. And we don't want everybody to book an appointment. If everybody booked an appointment and that was normal, this job would pay minimum wage and we wouldn't want to do it. Right. <laughs> so you have to get okay with, you know, what, whatever those metrics are for you, you know, some people that's, one out of every five or six people they talk to. Sometimes it's one out of 10 or one out of 15. Over time, you'll know your metrics and you'll get okay with you know hearing way more no's than you do yeses. But if you don't come in with the proper mindset with expectations as far as I'm going to hear more no's than yeses on the phone, 
you're going to hear two, three, four no's in a row. And you're going to be like, this sucks, right? I'm done. I'm terrible at this. And in reality, you're not, right? Um, but talk about what, what do you do for mindset? How does that look on the cold calling side to make sure when you sit down to start dialing your prospects, what are you doing to make sure you're in the right headspace so you don't sabotage what could be your client because you're not in the right headspace? Yeah, I think everything you said is 100% true. And, and, you know, having mindset is important. And the biggest thing for me is actually doing certain things before the call. And the first thing is to have a large list of companies that you're going to call. Since I do more cold outreach, for me, it's, it's a numbers game. Not everyone's interested at that given time. Not everyone is going through even close to their renewal at that time. So there's timing is a huge aspect of it. And having a large list allows you to not get knocked down because you only made 10 calls and nobody's interested. You know, when you make 50 calls and you get four or five people who are interested, maybe some not right now, but they tell you to call you two months later, you feel a little bit better and you feel like you're making some progress. And then the other side of that is before the call, role play. I role play with my wife. She's in the office with me. And what we do is, is... I say my pitch to her and she rejects me three different ways. Um, professional athletes warm up before they play the game. It's the same thing with cold calls. I have to go in already getting beat down, told no, hung up on all this stuff. I've already gone through it. I'm already sweating. I'm already ready to go. So when I go through that call and somebody says that, I'm not like, oh, you know, I'm ready to respond to that. I'm confident and I'm prepared. I'm not, you know, jumbling over my words because I've just warmed myself up. So I think doing the things that get you ready, some people listen to inspirational or faith music, you know, do whatever kind of makes you tick where you're ready because it does take a lot of mental strength to make calls because when you get rejected, you got to keep going, you know, you got to keep digging. So I think doing something to prepare yourself. And I think the bare minimum uh, uh, role-playing for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring that up. Basically what I heard was the, the one of the big ways to control your mindset is have enough resources, whether that's cold calling or whether that's leads to make sure that you don't need everybody to say yes on that phone call. Right. Because when you need everybody to say yes, when you're talking to them on the phone <clears throat> or in the home, you're going to be different. You're going to talk to them different because it's desperation, right? You need them more than they need you. And when you're in the insurance industry, <clears throat> you never want to be in a position where you need the client more than the client needs your help, mm -hmm. right? Because that will change you from being a consultant there to help to how do I sell them a policy, even if they don't need it. Yeah. Right? And so clients can sense that. So I love that, right? You said you have a list of what is about a hundred businesses at a time. Is that what you said or? I probably have, I mean, now I probably have a list of over 6,000, 7,000 companies that I have on a, a cadence. And I'll talk about that later of you call, when do you call again? When do you email again? And the importance of role play, one more thing is most business owners or people that you're calling on the phone, they have a habitual response when a salesperson calls them. So being able to sound a certain way at the beginning and being able to respond, not just hang up the phone when somebody says they're not interested. Because a lot of times people don't even hear what you said. I, I've turned in, I call them turn-ins and we'll talk about this in a second, but 
where somebody, what, what did you just say? They didn't even listen to me because they just is habitual. So getting out of that and then the large list of companies allows you to fail and you don't feel like, man, I only had a hundred companies. It's like, I got like seven, I got like a list of like 6,000 companies. If I fail on one, I'll be like, oh, whatever. Guy probably don't, won't even remember me when he gets home and I'll call him again in six months, you know? Yeah, so. I got 5,999 more at bats to hit a home run. I think I'm going to be okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Love that. Um, you talked about what you do, you know, to get yourself in the right mindset as well before going into dials. And are you a fan of The Office, Nate, at all? The what? Are you a fan of the show, The Office? Yeah, yep. <laughs> so there's an episode where Dwight and Jim are going out to see a client and uh, Jim gets out of the car and Dwight stays in the car for a couple minutes and he turns on like some heavy metal headbanging music. You got to do what you got to do, right? If that's what you got to do to psych yourself up, man, I love that, that uh, clip of Dwight. But I think we covered mindset pretty good. Let's go in now to intro on the phone script. So you're in your line introducing who you are and why you're calling the client, right? Or the prospect. Um, I'd be interested in hearing what that sounds like on a cold call list. So you're calling this number, let's say it's Joe's paint check. And uh, how do you introduce yourself to them? Why you're calling them? And what is their response? Um, yeah. The intro? So, and, and I had to tinker with this and make it my own. And I, I have some tips about this, but this is kind of where my failure story was. I used to call people and I used to say, hey, Dave, how are you today? And I used to start cold calls with how are you? And first thing, Dave doesn't know me. So he's not going to tell me the truth, how he really is. Or he's having a really rough day. And the only thing he's going to tell me is how rough his day is. I don't get any good good information out of asking that question. There's no point in asking how that guy's doing today. He's one, you interrupted his day, you called him, it's got to be quick, it's got to be to the point, and you got to have some sort of reason why you're calling. So what I always say is, hey, Dave, felt safe to reach out today. This is Nate with Wexford Insurance. The reason I'm reaching out is because we've been helping companies save money on their commercial insurance and health insurance. Would you be open to connecting at some point? And I'm going to dissect that. I said, felt safe to reach out. Basically, that initial felt safe makes him either look at the call a little bit differently or he's like, what's about to happen? So it, it kind of draws him in. And then I say, this is Nate with Wexford Insurance. I don't say my full name. He doesn't care about my full name. He doesn't know me. And I say Wexford Insurance real quick so he knows the company. And I say, the reason why the we've been helping people save money, I sometimes I say other things, some sort of value add, whatever your value adds, put it in the middle and say, would you be open to connecting at some point? Don't say right now, you're interrupting his day. Anytime somebody says, yeah, I want to quote right now, I say, hey, let's schedule a phone call. I interrupted your day. You got to be respectful and connecting means it can mean a lot of different things. It could be an in-person meeting, but I'm not going to say in person. I'm not going to say let's set up a phone call because he may want to meet in person or he may want to have a phone call. So I've kind of tinkered with that. It really works for me. And before I get into responses, do you have any questions on that? No, I love that whole, it felt safe to call you, right? Mm -hmm. Because how many people are going to chew you out when you're like, hey, Nate, man, it felt safe to reach out to you today. Only an absolute douchebag, right, <laughs> would chew you out then. And so that's going to take a lot of people's initial grumpy response um, off the table. On the life side, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, I call me and my agents, we mainly call leads. And so when I'm calling them, there's two things that I'm really focused on um, in that opening line. 
number one is I want them to know that I'm not a telemarketer, right? Because people, especially nowadays, are getting bombarded with spam calls and telemarketing calls. And I want to establish right from the get-go, hey, don't hang up. I'm not a telemarketer, right? And so I'll show you how I do that. But for me also, speed and tone of voice is very important uh, when I'm calling them. So my intro line is basically, um, hey, Nate. Yeah, Nate, this is Abraham Busick. And I'm getting back to you about the form or the request, whatever it was they did for whatever type of life insurance they had requested. Right. Because what I know is I have about 10 seconds to establish to them that I'm not a telemarketer and that they actually solicited me when they sent in the lead on the life side. Right. And so I'm just calling them back. But what I found is for myself, I have to, I'm a natural fast talker. Right. Who else is a, who else is a fast talker when you call them telemarketer, right? Cause they're trying to cram everything they have into that opening five seconds before you hang up in hopes of getting your attention. On my side, I, that intro is going to control the speed of the conversation. And so I want to slow it down, one, to give them a chance to hear who I am and why I'm calling before they have the initial response of just hang up. But then as well, it just sets me apart, right, that I'm the professional, that I'm not just sitting here um, spam calling them from India or Pakistan um, trying to get them to buy life insurance. Right. So that was a big thing for me with the intro is just establishing very quickly, Nate, I'm not a telemarketer. Um, I'm calling you back in reference to the request you submitted. And then as well, slowing myself down and my speed and tone down as well. But yeah, I'd love to hear more about what you do with your intro, because I think on the, the call and the lead sides of things, that's the intro is pretty self-explanatory, right? We don't have as much to overcome as maybe you do when you're cold calling a business, right? So what were some other tips and tricks for an intro that you have on your side that might help an agent who's cold calling? I think keep the intro short, keep it quick, make it your own words. I'm comfortable saying what I said and my wife makes cold calls and she has her own feel on it and the way she likes to approach the situation without losing the content, but making it your own words. And then after you say it, be quiet and shut up and, yeah. and listen because people want to tell you their story. Everybody wants to tell you their story. And when you bring up insurance, people start talking about their current situation. Oh, my mom's my insurance agent or so-and-so, or this is how I got screwed over by my previous agent. And then that allows you to ask more questions so you can understand more about how or if you can help. And so those are, the, and then there's rejections. And that kind of goes into our next point of the response. Yeah. You know, if it's a yes, hey, I'm open. Okay, well, I always ask, hey, you know, are you open this week or next week? Okay, I give them two options. And then the next time, okay, are you open this day or this day? Or I just say, hey, throw out some dates. Like, when do you want to meet? And then I make it work. Um, sometimes I make it work without even looking at my calendar. Because at the end of the day, you know, if he wants to meet, let's make it happen. And if you want to have a phone call, I'll figure out how I can be in two places later. So, uh, <laughs> so and then the response aspect of it is if the rejection and the rejection is, Hey, I'm just not interested. And a lot of people just take that and they hang up the phone. They're like, okay, thank you, sir. Bye. The, the biggest thing is when somebody's not interested, I kind of have two responses and it kind of depends on what type of mood I'm in. 
somebody says, Hey, I'm not interested. Sometimes I say, if I'm in a, a go-getter mood, I say, Hey, I know you're not interested. I haven't really said anything to, to make you interested in anything. And I reiterate the reason for the call. <laughs> and if he says, Hey, I'm not interested. I said, Hey, is there, if I'm kind of not in a go-getter mood and I kind of feel like the guy's very stern, a lot of times I just say, Hey, is there a better time for me to reach out? Because the reason he's saying not interested is two things. He's just not interested right now, or he wants to get off the phone. So I can say, Hey, is there a better time for me to reach out? And then he usually says, yeah, uh, reach out to me Friday. I'll be available Friday. Then that allows me to have, I put that in my CRM and when I call him, I can point to the fact that we already had a conversation. So then it makes the cold, the call not as cold anymore because I'm pointing to a conversation we had before. I, and, it, and it makes the call a lot easier. So there's a lot of different things. Like I already have an agent. I just renewed all these things you should have. I call turn-ins or responses to rejection. I already have an agent. Hey, I assumed you already had an agent when I called. You know, the reason I'm calling is I reiterate the reason. Because a lot of times they probably didn't hear the reason. Um, just renewed. Hey, that takes pressure off of us to have a business conversation without me trying to take over your insurance. You know, just different responses that kind of, allow them to reiterate and relook at your message a little bit differently. And if they're not interested after that, I say, Hey, is it okay if I respectfully follow up down the road, feel free to use me as a resource added bench strength, if anything ever changes. So. Yeah. So what are some of the common objections? So you just gave us two of them. I already have an agent or I'm not interested. What are some other common objections you get and how do you respond to those? Because I think that's what's going to be relevant for a lot of agents listening to us right now, right? Is people are going to throw objections at our way. How can they handle those objections to where they can still find the clients who need help and make them their clients? Yeah, and I think another one is I just renewed. And sometimes you can take that and say, oh, when's your renewal date? And then you can call them six to nine months later, you're not always trying to make every sale right now. And then this is where me and some other people disagree. I think if somebody says, hey, I take care of this in the fall and it's in the summer and they're a landscaping company, I'm going to call them in the fall. <laughs> I'm not going to try to squeeze in their schedule. It's the same thing. Don't be, don't be, don't have the scarcity mindset. Not every sale is needing to be, or every prospect is needing to be meted with that month the whole point of cold calling is to gauge interest is to make a connection you make a connection and then from that connection you follow up down the road very rarely do i make a cold call and schedule a meeting on the first call and there's common objections like oh i already use a local guy all right or my mother-in-law's the insurance agent you know what i do i say i pin that out like a year <laughs> And I say, hey, is your mother-in-law still your agent? Because I'm not going to waste time trying to beat out his mother-in-law, which is going to make his whole world mess up. If he, may, if he removes his relationship with his mother-in-law, it's like, I have more prospects that have opportunities than to chase down this guy who's, you know. Yeah, I always like to tell my agents, um, it's our job to help the ones who are interested, not make somebody else interested, right? So what I mean by that is what you just said. If you're telling me no, 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 hey man, cool, have a great day. I have so many other people to call. I know my clients are in this stack that I'm not gonna waste um, energy that's a limited resource on trying to convince you that you need my help, right? I'm just simply out looking for those who need help 
and still want my help, right? So I love that. On the life insurance side, it's a little bit different again when we handle objections, but not really that different when you when you boil it down to the root, right? Um, there's two things though. Every time somebody gives me an objection that I'm trying to get that I'm processing through my filters when I'm talking to them. Um, number one, I want to understand why they're not interested because like I said, my team and myself, we call leads, meaning they responded and filled something out showing an interest. And so if they responded and showed an interest, I want to figure out what changed, right? Because what I found on the life insurance side is 99% of the time, the whole I'm not interested is just a knee jerk reaction. They didn't even hear who we were, who we are or why we were calling, right? And so I'm trying to understand why they're not interested and number two, I'm trying to filter out if their original concern has been resolved, right? And so because there's a whole myriad of reasons why people might tell you they're not interested. One, they might be busy and think you're calling to try to sign them up for something at that moment, which like you, I never do. I interrupted their day. I'm going to set that for, you know, down the road tomorrow or the next day or whenever. But more often than not, what I found is um, when someone tells me they're not interested, and they filled out a form expressing interest, you know, 48 hours ago, it's for one of three reasons. Um, number one, they got bad information from their grandma, their uncle, their aunt, their cousin, who isn't even a licensed insurance agent. But, you know, every family member has that person who thinks they're the expert in everything. And so they got bad information that it's either going to be, they're not going to qualify because of their health or life insurance for them is going to be too expensive. Whatever it is, um, they've gotten bad information. Number two, they've had a bad experience with another insurance agent, and they think we're all the same, um, meaning they've had somebody come in and either try to back them into a corner and force them into a policy they couldn't afford, didn't want, um, and that person's only concern was getting their signature on a policy, not actually helping them. But then the last one is, and I found this to be less of a case, but when this one happens to somebody else, it's one that they're going to give you the objection they're not interested and it's going to be the hardest one that you have to just patiently work through. And that's if another agent already got them declined, right? The, this agent came in and promised them the world. This agent didn't know anything about what they were talking about. And now the client got a letter in the mail saying that, hey, basically the insurance company can't insure you. How that client interprets that letter is that, hey, somebody doesn't want me, Right. And if somebody doesn't want us, what's our natural reaction next time somebody comes along with that? Or like, no, I don't want to go through that again. That was a painful experience, even though it's just a letter saying they couldn't insure you. Rejection is a painful thing for the client. And so I found that when someone tells me they're not interested on the life insurance side, it's for either they got bad information, they had a bad experience with another agent, or they've already been declined, right? And so my goal when somebody gives me an objection is I'm not trying to overcome the objection. I'm not, right? When I start trying to overcome an objection, it puts us on opposite sides when really I'm on the client's side, right? And so basically, I want to start digging into why they're not interested. I want to understand why and what happened. So I might ask questions like, sorry to hear that, Nate. Um, looks like this was the form that you submitted talking, you know, you wanted $100,000 of life insurance. Um, does somebody already get with you on this? You know, yes or no. Just work my way through a series of questions to really figure out, are they not interested anymore? Or is that just a surface level reaction to keep me away because something that something bad has happened already that they didn't appreciate, right? And then, um, you know, if we go through all of that, 
ultimately I'm just going to ask them, let's say somebody came out and already helped them with the policy. Let's say they submitted a request for a hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy and agent came out and got them a $25,000 life insurance policy. I'm just going to ask that client. Okay. So is $25,000, does that give you peace of mind or are you still trying to get a, you know, the hundred thousand dollars of life insurance you were looking for? And what I'm doing with that, I'm trying to see if the actual initial concern and problem is fully resolved and they're happy with it, or if that's just all they think they can qualify for or can afford, and they need somebody to come in and help show them that, hey, maybe you can afford more, maybe you can't, maybe you can, but at least we can come in and figure that out for you. Um, I just went on a long rabbit trail. I can be a long-winded talker, but- I got a couple uh, questions. So sure. you're so you're basically that initial call. You're you're collecting that data, so you can see how you can help them. One hundred percent. So on that initial phone call, I'm introducing who I am, why I'm calling. I'm getting some of their basic health information, so I can start to make sure when we meet the next day or the day after, that I have educated quotes for them. That I'm not just throwing something out there hoping they qualify for it, but I've actually been able to do my due diligence and research with the companies to make sure that what I'm presenting to them is a solution they'll actually qualify for. Okay. And then do you follow up? So let's say somebody, you call them a couple, like after that first call and they're like, Hey, I'm just not interested. And they're not giving you more information. They're just very vague about it. Do you, how, how, how much more do you continue to follow up on that? You know, and there's going to be people out here who, when I say this, they're going to have differing opinions. Um, but I'm going to take it my, basically, I don't follow up a whole lot off of this at this point where I leave the ball at that point in time is that, Hey, Nate, you know, I understand, Hey, do me a favor, save my phone number, save my name down the road. If this ever becomes something that's important to you again, and you want an agent on your side, feel free to give me a call. I'm always here to help. Right. Yeah. Because on the life insurance side, we have so many requests coming in that if we spent time chasing people who aren't interested, I'm not going to be able to get to the ones who actually are interested and need my help. Yeah. No, and that makes sense. Cause on PNC, uh, they renew every year. So if you stay in the vicinity, if you stay on like, if you stay on the bench and when the starter screws up and the coach pulls them out of the game, you want to be that first person who's, who's going to be called. So on our end, it's more thinking of creative ways. Um, I have a big blog that I send out every quarter. All the people that rejected me are not interested. I put on that blog. And I, it's another touch to try to keep them remembering Wexford, remembering. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I wish I had a list that like you had that chance and you could like move on because the more you add, the more you have this massive list of companies you got to continue yeah. to follow up with. But man, that's, that's the awesome thing about what we're doing here, right? Is we're getting two sides of training, right? Because you do it one way, I do it another way, yet they both work when they're done. Yeah. And um, so you, you made a statement there about when, the, when their other agent screws up. You know, somebody made a quote to me a while back. They said, the best time to become somebody's agent is when their other agent doesn't care anymore yep. or made a mistake, right? And you're right. You want to be that first person that pops into their mind. Like, you know what, Joe here, cousin Joe, he's not doing his job anymore. I feel like he doesn't care, you know, and he's not saving me money. Let me give Nate a call. You know, he reaches out to me every six months or every year. So your name's fresh with them. And uh, now they're calling you. And that's the thing, like insurance can, is a pipeline business. 
right? Mm -hmm. Meaning, especially when you're first getting started, you're building that pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. That's starting to flow. So many people, I think, get in and they think after a week or two weeks of being in insurance that they're just going to have this money being deposited into their account nonstop. And it just doesn't work that way. Now you will, the insurance industry will make you good money if you continue to build the pipeline, right? It's not an overnight success. You're building a pipeline of three, four, five, six months, a year, two years to where that then you just have a constant flow of clients and people who are interested. And that's where the insurance really starts to get good when you're the agent. So Yeah. And, and you just got to know going and you're not going to close every meeting. I've had tons of meetings where I walked away and I'm like, man, that was a great conversation. Yeah. But when it came down to everything at the end of the day, when I brought options, what they knew was better than going with me, even though, but that's the thing is, it's about building that pipeline. Cause I had a conversation with him and he knows that I brought something good to the table and next year or the year after when the opportunity arises, you may not get it the first year, but this is a long-term business. It takes a long time to have that pipeline just buzzing and, and having a bunch of things coming in. So that's why it's, it's important to just pace yourself and not get down and not get too high because <laughs> yeah. you'll, you'll close a lot one month. You'll be like, Oh, the world is amazing. I am, I am the man. And then <laughs> the next month you're like, Oh my gosh, why did I do this? Um, so yeah. Yeah. One week you're like, man, we're going to be billionaires by the end of the year. And the next week you're like, we're going to be eating soup at the poorhouse, <laughs> right? It's pull yourself back and looking at it over the course of, you know, I always tell, this is kind of a side note, but I always tell my agents, I judge my business in quarters, not in weeks, right? I'm not going to panic if I have a bad week um, because I know that business ebbs and flows as long as every quarter the numbers are working out. Um, then that's just, you have to be okay with that. But let's jump into the next point. So when you're calling a client so you can best help them um, in that initial phone call, do you do much to figure out what the client's concern and pain points are so you can prepare before meeting them? Or what does that look like for you in that conversation? It, it kind of depends if, if they're open and they're, and they're talking about it, then I'll collect some of that information. But at the end of the day, if they're like, Hey, yeah, I've been wanting to evaluate this for a while. Let's meet. I'm not going to get too much in the weeds just because I feel like in a meeting, if I sit down or if I have a phone call, that's where there's dedicated time for him to be clear about why he took the meeting. And that's one of my first questions like, Hey, you know, thanks for meeting with us. Is there anything that a, a big reason why you took the meeting today? Just trying to get that information. Cause sometimes I go in there and I'm like, I don't know why they took the meeting, but I'm going to learn. And I have it dedicated 30 minutes to an hour to understand why they did and understand how they're currently being taken care of. But if I'm on a call and I'm interrupting their day, I, I don't want to steal that conversation, I guess. Yeah. What about so you? on the life insurance side, um, again, we're a little bit different and that's what makes this podcast work. I think um, I do. So on that initial phone call, I'm going to spend a real quick minute or two figuring out what their concern was and what are those pain points. And here's why I'm doing that for two reasons. Um, number one, it's so I can best prepare before showing them options, right? I understand what the situation is, what they're trying to prevent or what they're trying to make happen with the life insurance. But then as well, now that that's going to be kind of sitting on their mind a little bit between now and the meeting, mm -hmm. right? 
So I'll just run through what I'm trying to do. Number one, I'm trying to figure out why did they respond? Who would be affected if something happened to them before we got any insurance in place? And then on the also, um, what does life look like for that person if things something happened today before we got coverage in place? And it sounds like this. So um, I'll just run through it here real quick with you, Nate. So Nate, the last question I have before I let you go and start to work on this tomorrow for you, um, what was the reason or you were trying to look into this $25,000 of life insurance for yourself? I want to be able to pay for my mortgage for 12 months. Okay. So you're trying to make sure basically that if something happens to you, that mortgage doesn't become a financial burden for somebody else. Yes. Okay. Who would be the person that would be affected um, with that mortgage payment? My wife and uh, my five dogs. Your five dogs. Okay. So financially you're concerned again, that if you were to pass away, that that mortgage payment might become a little bit of an issue for your wife. Yes. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. No, I definitely understand. And then I'm going to go right into the next part of my script. But what I've just done there is one, they know that I'm now coming with options based off their concern. And I'm not just going to show up and show them general options, you know, that I show everybody, but then also that's going to be sitting on their mind now between when I talk to them and when I meet with them tomorrow, they're going to be thinking about that a little bit so that when we come to the meeting, they're prepared and I'm prepared. We can both sit down and do business. Mm -hmm. They've had a chance now to talk with their wife that night say, Hey, you know, Abraham Busick, he's an insurance agent. He's going to be meeting with us tomorrow at this time you know, what do you think would happen? You know, they're going to start having these conversations naturally without me before I meet with them. So now when I sit down and meet with them, I can just go through and we can work through the problems, what the scenarios would look like and help them find a solution. Does that make sense as far as on the life side of the day? Am I talking circles or? No, I think it makes sense because I think in that meeting, you can actually provide a quote or provide some options for them where um, like on PNC, it's, it's, there's so much information yeah. or you can provide a soft quote for them, but on, on PNC, there's so much information when I'm sitting down with a construction company, knowing what type of construction they do, all this information that I need to quote, that there's going to be a level of effort on their end to be able to supply me with that information. So if I don't see that when I, in that initial meeting, if I can tell that they're not going to put forth that effort and I, and I clearly communicate, Hey, if you want to look at options, it's going to take some effort. I'm going to need some information and I'm going to have an email that's going to have a long list of information we need. And if they don't see that, then it's kind of like, and they don't want to respond that I'm not going to waste my time and my relationships with my carriers, sending them something that there's not a high percentage chance that we're going to end up closing and having a conversation of what are you actually trying to do with your insurance? If you're just trying to save money, you know, that's a shot in the dark for us. If you're trying to save money on insurance, because it's, you're trying to beat somebody else's pricing. There's, I always try to add value outside of money, but at the end of the day, you got to play the money game. So if there's, if there's value outside of money, you can make a better difference than just going in. I may get their interest with saving money, but there may be something more that they resonate with than just the money. Because yeah. when you get to the point where you're spending, you know, 20 to 30 to $50,000 a year on your insurance, a certain point, you want to make sure what you're paying for is actually going to be paid out. Yeah. 
Yeah, and just I just want to clarify for every life agent on here. I don't think it's a good idea to give a soft quote in that initial phone call. We don't do that. Okay. <laughs> um, because I can't add, like what you just talked about. I can't add value before I talk about pricing in that moment. And so I had a mentor tell me one time in the business, price only becomes an option or be only price only becomes a problem in the absence of value. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the pricing is the very last thing that I ever talk about. And that's right before we start filling out the application. And so I would hundred percent agree um, value, value, value before you ever talk about pricing. And so that looks different on both sides. It sounds like, um, but I think the main message is we want to put ourselves in the best position to create value for them. So we know best how to help them. Um, yeah. on the phone. So last one, setting the appointment, right? So now you've gone through the conversation, you've called them, you've worked through whatever you have to work through on the phone script. They're ready to book an appointment. They're interested. What does that look like for you when it comes time to book the appointment? How do you do that? I, I kind of feel it out every kind of different ways. If it's over an email, I always give them, I throw out two options because on an email, if you just say, let me know what time works for you, mm-hmm. a lot of times that just kind of sits in their mailbox. Um, if you ask them specific times and say, if these don't work, let me know. They'll either choose one of the two times or they're going to say, they're going to throw out another day. Yeah. If you give them too many options or it's too open-ended, people don't know how to respond to that. Now, over the phone, it can be a little bit informal. It can be like, hey, when are you thinking about meeting? Because you're, you're on the phone. He's not going to hang up if there's an interest level in meeting. And, uh, and I, think, I think meeting as soon as possible after you've had the conversation makes sense because it's kind of fresh in their mind. I try to do that. I try to see. But at the end of the day, when you're talking with companies that have a lot going on, sometimes you're scheduling something two to three weeks out and you know, in that meeting, you're addressing that. Hey, we talked two or three weeks ago. So I, it really depends on the situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. So I think for me on the life insurance side, when it comes down to set the appointment, there's really three big things that I want to make sure that happens in that part of the phone script. Um, number one, I want to use strong language and not weak language, meaning I'm emphasizing that I'm busy. And whatever time we select, I want to make sure that it's set in stone, that it works for both of us. Because the last thing I want to do is fill my schedule up with people who are going to text me five minutes before the meeting and be like, hey, man, you know, today's just not a good day. We have to, let's meet next week. Because then I can't help anybody. Um, and so I want to use strong language around schedule and making sure that the time we set to meet is actually going to work for all parties involved. Um, number two, I ask them, I'm going to have them write it down in their calendar and schedule while I'm on the phone with them. Again, just to make sure that I'm scheduled, because what I know to be true in business or in life is if it's not scheduled, it doesn't get done. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I've been supposed to, I was been supposed to be cleaning out our garage downstairs for the last two years, but it's never scheduled. Right. And so it hasn't gotten done for two years. Um, so I've been having them put it on their schedule, because if it's scheduled, there's a good chance it's going to go through. And then lastly, I'm letting them know that I'm also going to send them a reminder, you know, X amount of hours or days before the appointment. Now, um, my, when I go to set the appointment, I think there's also something very important that you touched on is I never asked them, Hey, Nate, you know, when would you and Cammy like to meet about life insurance? Because it's never convenient to meet and talk about insurance. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to ask a question before I set the appointment. So Nate, are you and Cammy typically home and together and available in the mornings, afternoons, or evenings throughout the week? 
right? And then you say evenings. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say, okay, Nate, looking at my schedule here for the next couple of days, I don't have a ton of time, but what I still have open would be either a 7 p.m. tomorrow evening or an 8 p.m. tomorrow evening. Which one of those works best for you both, mm -hmm. right? Um, you're, then you're, you can't just say, oh, tomorrow's not a good day. You just told me you're home in the evenings, right? So now I know you're home in the evenings. And then as well, um, more nine times out of 10, you're going to pick one of the two time frames, right? Whereas if I just say, hey, Nate, uh, when do you want to meet? You're going to be like, you know what? Let's talk after the holidays. Yeah. That just doesn't work in life insurance. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and so you're putting yourself in the position that you're busy and you're fitting them into your schedule. And so you're giving them two times to pick. You know, I can meet with you at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., which one works better. And then after they pick a time, I'm going to verify again. So, so Nate, just to confirm, 8 p.m. tomorrow works for both you and Cammie, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. And then I have them grab a pen and paper, put me in their schedule, and then I lock it down real good. But what I found is when, by, when I don't set it up that way, one, I'm making it sound like I'm just there at their convenience that I'm not busy. And nobody wants to do business with somebody who's not busy. Yeah. Right. Think about it. When it's lunchtime and you're in a new town and you're trying to figure out where you want to go to lunch, it's 12 o'clock on a Friday and you drive by this restaurant and there's no cars in it. And there's one across the street that has a hundred cars in it. Which one are you going to eat at? Yeah. You're going to be like, dude, the one with the empty parking lot, something must be wrong. I am not eating there. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody goes there. So you go to the one that's busy, right? And on the life insurance side, it works the same way um, in that I want to be busy because people want to do business with busy people. I want to be professional in the fact that I have a schedule and I really need you guys to fit into my schedule if this is important to you. And then thirdly, I want to have them write it down and communicate like, hey, just to be sure this time works that I'm not going to show up to the meeting and you guys aren't going to be there. Or you're not going to call me 10 minutes before the meeting starts and say, Hey, now's not a good time. Um, because if that's the case, I'd rather just schedule it, you know, at a different time that is best for y'all. Yeah. I think confirming it is, is huge because I didn't hit on that, but I always confirm it the day before. Yeah. And I don't know how many have rescheduled and I saved myself a trip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or just not having something other, you know, another thing on my calendar, because, you know, things come up and especially on, you know, PNC, it's just, they're running a business and things come up and there's priority lists. And I understand sometimes insurance is far down the priority list. So. Sure. Cool, man. Well, to me, that's the basics of the phone. So just again, to kind of recap that for everybody, there's five main points to being successful on the phone. That's getting your mindset right before dials getting your intro right on the phone script, whatever you're, whether you're cold calling, you're calling leads, um, getting good at handling objections. Number four, figuring out kind of what the client's concern is. And then number five, setting a solid appointment um, for yeah. yourself. It's going to show up and ready to do business when we show up. So Nate, anything else you want to add to any of that, man? What do you got? I think that's perfect. I, I, I want to give us a sneak peek of our next podcast. We're having an interview with Daniel Pig. He is the current owner and CEO of the Sycamore Winery, the owner and CEO of Big Leaf Brewing, and he's a previous insurance agency owner. He bought an agency, scaled an agency, and sold it, and now he's living his best life and running a lot of different businesses. So we have some questions with him regarding 
you know, how to grow a team, how to scale of an insurance agency. What are some things that you use? What are some things that you learned from running a winery and wedding venue that you would have used working for an insurance agency? And I think showing that, hey, there's life outside of insurance. You know, if you if you run in a successful business and you want to get out, uh, there's a lot of things that this this opportunity can open up doors for you outside of it. Because to start a business and a winery and all these things, it takes money. And if you if you can make money in, in another part and you want to get out and move that somewhere else, that's what this industry provides. And I think what I love about the episode that we're going to do with him is from what you've told me, one, he's a mentor of yours from the past. He's been a big help for you in insurance. So he's going to add a lot of value on the insurance side of things. But then as well, it sounds like he's built multiple businesses from scratch and built them up to a well-known, well-marketed business profiting well. So I think as well on the business side of things, if you're an agency owner or you're trying to build an agency um, in insurance, he's going to provide invaluable insight in how to market, how to grow, how to build, how to scale, as well as if you're just the agent, right? Invaluable assets and, and mindsets into the insurance side of things. So I'm excited. I've never met Daniel. I'm excited to meet him on the podcast. I appreciate you lining that up, but I think it's time that we go out here and crush the week. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it's a fresh week and we got to hit it hard, man. And so we got to use some of these things that we talked about. Let's go disrupt the week, right? That's right. All right, everybody, take care and please like, subscribe and share and comment below if you have any questions or anything that you want us to talk about in the coming weeks.